0: used to think about it madly, you want a conversation gladly, and I'm hoping oh so badly, you can show me, who is Scott Daddy? Hey, welcome everybody, today is a pretty special and unique episode, I wasn't able to lock down a guest, but I decided it would be good for me to share my story fully, kind of how I came to be where I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Um, I think, you know, with a few 15 or so episodes under my belt here, I anyone who's continuing to listen, it might be kind of nice to get an idea of who I am. So, <clears throat> if you're interested, you know, it might be a bit vulnerable and personal information at times. But, like I said, if you're interested, buckle up and take the ride with me. So few announcements to go over is just i already mentioned it once but we have changed the name to now it's now the discourse den and um i know a lot of you are sad about who is sky daddy and believe me i am too I love it. I think it's a clever, fun little name for especially an atheist. Um, But there was multiple reasons on on why I did it. And I do like where we've landed now with the Discourse Den, because I want this podcast to be about more than just God. You know, I want to be able to talk about politics and science and philosophy. I want it to be all-encompassing, and I think the name really captures that now. Um, So anyway, there's gonna be a new icon coming in hot. It's not quite here yet. You can still see the whiz showing, but it is actively being worked on, as well as some uh, more social medias and whatnot that I will get posted. And by the way, for today, I have written this out as a monologue. So if it looks like I'm staring at my screen reading, well, it's because I am. And I will do my best to still keep an eye on, like, the comments and Discord. And honestly, anyone who is listening, like, I would love people to join the Discord, ask me questions, or make comments in the YouTube. Um, So fire them away. And just so everyone's aware, I am pretty nervous about this. I... I've never just done like a full-blown monologue where I feel like I'm talking to nobody and especially about some such uh, personal information. Um, But anyway, let's get to it. Oh, and by the way, um, anybody who, you know, just feels like they could use some, some morale in their life to lift their spirits and whatnot... Honestly, writing this monologue out has been so good for my mental, and I never even knew how helpful it could be. Like, Even if you're not going to share it with a single person, typing out your story as if you're telling it to somebody can just give so much closure. All right, so... As a lot of you know, I was raised a Mormon with somewhat of a full house. There were four children total. I was raised not only by my parents, but also a community of loving people within my church ward. The more I reminisce about my childhood, the more I realize that at an early age, I was already thinking very deeply about things. I can remember around six or seven, my mom said bedtime prayers with me, tugged me in, and as she was leaving the room, I asked her, Mom, where does God come from? And her response was something along the lines of, well, he comes from his own God before him. I know that probably sounds a little wild to some of my christian friends out there but it really isn't that far off of what actual lds theology says when she responded this way <clears throat> i i spouted out another question well where did his god come from you can see the naturally curious nature of a child was coming out and intuitively questioning this Im- infinite regress even though I had no clue I'd, at the time what that was. But my mother, my poor mother, and who could blame her, finally reacted with an all too familiar diatribe that, you know, some things we just won't be able to understand until we are back in heaven with our Father. I went to bed very dis- dissatisfied because I wanted answers now. I didn't want to wait until I went to heaven. It seems I have just always had this urge to get down to the bottom of everything, even though oftentimes, as you'll see, it was unhealthy for my psyche. When I mention the loving community of ward members, I genuinely mean it. They were amazing people, at least as far as I could tell as a child amongst their ranks. It really was a happy scene. I may have even enjoyed going to church and ward activities more than school sometimes, but that's exactly what it felt like to me. It never really seemed like it was something deeper and more m- meaningful than life itself. It just felt like a natural part of what we all do, like going to football practice or piano lessons. I was so much so in a bubble of experience that it shocked me when I found out in elementary school that there was even any churches or religions outside of my own. I distinctly remember one of my very first culture shocks around 11 or 12 when I went to a friend's uh, house whose family was from the Middle East somewhere. And I don't even know what religion they were. I don't care to really assume, but I think that most of us could venture a guess. But I just remember observing, like, religious artwork and all this stuff around the house that wasn't in my own house it was similar to what i had like the blonde Jesuses and paintings of him kneeling down praying to the father but yet a world of a difference between what the art was i think it's true that when you break out of a bubble oftentimes it doesn't just shatter but rather slowly throughout the years small cracks start to form until eventually it all just comes crumbling down I do have to be honest and say that not all of the trauma and issues that I had growing up stemmed directly from my high-demand religion, but it absolutely played its part. I was unintentionally exposed to inappropriate things, starting around 7 and continuing on throughout the years. I say unintentionally because it's true. With six people in the house, I don't even think I could be sure as to whose materials they were, and it's pretty obvious that it happened because of incompetence to hide someone's secrets. Either way, they were neglectfully left around the house, perfectly situated for a curious little bug to stumble upon them. Although I'm dancing around the words a bit, I'm sure most have caught on. So this led me to be a pretty sexually deviant child for that age. I think that <clears throat> I think that's all the details I would really care to put here. Um, but it is super important to the story. And it's important be- because I really, as I think about it, I remember it, the sexual deviancy stuff, not feeling out of the normal it it didn't make me feel bad or ashamed it was like just going through these motions but then as i started to get older the lessons in church about chastity started emerging you know because we were starting to turn into little teenagers whose puberties would be starting any minute this is where the combinations of worlds started to become a whirlpool of uncomfortable feelings and shame This shame eventually started turning into terrible emotions and feelings that I didn't even dare talk to my parents about, because of the stigma from the church. I just held it in, and the darkness kept building in my heart. Actually, I did try to consult one individual, namely the big man upstairs. I was always told, when in doubt, say a prayer. God is always there for you. It was one of the only tools I was actually taught to use when I was feeling upset. I can remember numerous accounts of being on my knees, in tears, begging for his forgiveness and his comfort. It seemed the one tool in my belt was broken, which in turn made me feel broken as a person. You start to think, why isn't this working for me? Like, what's so wrong with me that God won't give me that burning bosom in the chest like so many of my peers have felt? It's obvious to say that this was way too much weight on a 12-year-old boy's shoulders. At this point, my dad never attended church with us. Slowly, as I got older, siblings started dropping off as well, until it was me, my mom, and one brother attending church. I was the baby, so there was a lot of drama within the household that I wasn't even aware of. It seemed everyone had a mission to protect me from the pitfalls and mistakes of life. Anyway, my parents decided to sell the house and move an hour and a half north. What seems crazy to me about this is I had tons of friends, best friends, you know, well-liked by the neighborhood kids, the kids at school, and kids in the ward. Shit, I even got elected as the student body vice president in 7th grade. But oddly enough, I was ecstatic about the idea of moving away from it all. I don't remember ever feeling sad. I was so unaware of this at the time, but... Uh, but. Upon reflecting, you know, I was so eager to just escape, even though I was very privileged. Actually, one of the wealthier kids on the block with a big house, just the unobserved weight was starting to pressure me to want to leave. And we did. We can go ahead and title this phase two. The rebellious age. The new ward I started attending was nothing close to what I left behind. The whole vibe felt like complete trash to me. The love felt disingenuous, and the community of shame was cranked up five notches. This was a massive crack in my little bubble, just like someone threw a large rock at it. I'm actually grateful for it, though, because it's when my my true rebellious spirit started to really creep into my bones. I I didn't care if things I was, I was doing were wrong. I was all about it, the swearing, the masturbating, the dating girls before I was 16, all of it. And most of all was this growing sense of independence. My last sibling had already left for his two-year mission. My dad always seemed like he was off doing his own thing. And my mom was there as my little servant, feeding me food and picking up after me. And I know that sounds terrible. I realize that. It kind of was. But, you know, I think we're all somewhat just products of our environment. And all we can do is be better. So... I did start uh, skipping out on church, in which my mom was highly disappointed, but I had the easy fall back of, well, uh, Dad doesn't go, so she had to back off. She just let me do my thing. Although I didn't actually think about it or reason it out at, at the time, I think deep down I started to realize that none of this religion shit made any sense. Eventually, starting right around the beginning of high school, I had completely withdrawn from attending any church activities. I remember a few different times getting into arguments with my mom about it. She, she would say things like, well, in the end, you know, Keaton, I just really hope that you can believe in your God. That's all I hope for you is that you still believe in God. And I had no idea... I didn't have the slightest clue what an atheist even was at that point, but still, I responded to her, why? Like, why do I have to believe in a God? Ah, oh, sorry, getting a bit parched. All right. And just to reiterate, like, although I wasn't going to church anymore here, I, I was still trying my hardest to pray to God and ask for help. And it wasn't just help. Like I know a lot of Christians have told me you can't just ask God for things and demand things like, and I wasn't, I was telling him everything I was grateful for. I was asking his forgiveness for all my sins. And then I was also asking for help with my faith crisis and my growing pains. Um, and still, it just it seemed the Almighty Father wanted nothing to do with me as senior year rolled around. There were a couple of points of interest, first of all, <clears throat> I wasted way too much time with one girl throughout my entire high school experience when it finally felt over. I latched on to the idea of serving a mission. I started reading the Bible and the Book of Mormon again, started attending seminary and going back to church. But luckily, this attitude lasted for maybe about a month until I realized I don't actually want to serve a mission. I just want to get the fuck away from this environment. Lucky for me, as soon as I graduated, my mom dropped a massive bomb on my face. Literally so quickly, all in one, she said something like, Yeah, me and your dad have had issues for a while now. We're getting divorced and we're also selling the house. I went downstairs to the shower and sat on the tile floor and cried. And I remember this was actually the one and only time I had ever grieved about any family situation that might be happening. Like, obviously, I cried about girlfriends and and uh, like talking to God, like I've already mentioned. But this specifically hit me like my whole family just felt broken to some degree. And it's crazy because the signs of it growing up were all there. Like, in hindsight, it was so fucking obvious that they were having marital issues, but I was just absolutely oblivious to it. It's like they were just waiting for me to get my diploma and turn 18 so they could finally call it quits. And I do want to say I love my parents. They have been through so many hard times, and they... they really did raise us in a loving environment and tried their absolute best. And you know, what it boils down to is they were raised a certain way as well. And they only had certain tools in their tool belt belt to pass on to their children. But the inability to discuss openly with the family, any problems that we could be facing really started to negatively affect all of us. I absolutely blame that on religion, you know, everybody on the block wanted to have that happy family who all attended church and did family home evening every night, and the the problems were just kind of swept under the rug. Anyway, at 18, I decided to go to college because I was able to receive a Pell Grant for having divorced parents with a failing business. Gotta give props to Big Daddy government for that one. Ironically enough, this is where I started diving super deep into conspiracies. While the government was helping me, paying for my entire school, and here I was thinking the Illuminati is run by aliens who is telling our government how to control us. I think there's a lot to be said about being raised very religiously and the correlation to a lack of critical thinking. Anyway, I didn't have room and boards though, so I had to work and move into like the cheapest basement apartment I could find. This is all around the same time that I started to discover psychedelic drugs as well which, for anyone out there who has tried them, you know how life-altering they can be, especially for your first time. I distinctly remember taking an energy class my first semester of school. Not the, like, woo-woo energy stuff, but actual matter in the universe, and energy, how it gets used, and and all that stuff, so... Uh, the phrase, energy cannot be created or destroyed, really stuck with me. I began to form a lot of the common modern spiritual beliefs, things like crystal powers, psychism, and whatnot. Because of this law of conversation, uh, com- conservation that I already quoted, um, I had this idea about energy, and like I started forming my own version of basically the egg theory which, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, that's basically this collective consciousness that we're all actually one consciousness just split into different bodies. And by the way, even though I don't uh, hold to this belief now, I actually do think it still does lay out a useful moral system for anyone who's using it. Basically, if you can recognize every other human being as literally being yourself, you can empathize with who they are and why they behave the way they do. It's safe to say that these spiritual beliefs played a huge role in shaping my moral theory to this day. But moving on, I have to admit to myself that I was beginning to become arrogant about these beliefs. Almost like I viewed myself as a guru who just knew everything about the universe and spirituality. Eventually, I had a bad trip on mushrooms with some of my friends. I think a lot of the situation definitely stemmed from this arrogance about reality. Though, I won't take the full blame because I do think there were multiple factors that played into it. I don't think I need to give much more detail on that, but basically the trip spiraled out of control for a, for a short amount of time, I actually felt clinically insane. Or at least what I imagined that that might be like to be clinically insane. And afterward is kind of when I entered into a more dark era. And since we're running with the phases things, I'll go ahead and call this phase three, the dark age. That bad trip sent me into a spiral, um, all the way down to rock bottom, basically. Never before had I experienced social anxiety or hyper-focused on what people thought about me. I had to leave my apartment, and the only place for me to go was my dad's tiny little car business. He was basically a bum living at a business, and I was his extra bum crashing on his couch. We literally had to get a key and go across the street to another building to use the shower. This environment didn't help the way I was feeling about myself and how others perceived me. I started becoming very paranoid about the people around me. I thought my friends were testing me with everything they asked me to do, even if it was just coming to hang out. Also, at the time I was starting to date a girl more seriously... And just a side note, here's a little foreshadowing for you. This girl eventually did become my wife. So anyway, I legitima- I legitimately thought her parents were setting up situations in order to test me or make me look bad. The paranoia was paranoia was very real. And there were times that I literally felt like I was in the Truman Show, and everyone was just laughing as they watched me lie. Uh, yeah, watched me live my life. This lasted for probably almost two years, and you know, sometimes it was much more intense, and other times it was dull and not so bad. I was able to live with it, um, but there's something to be said about. Me never thinking once about thinking out, uh, seeking out a therapist. Again, going back to that tool belt thing, it seems like I had nothing in my arsenal I'd, uh, to even think about that. You know, and I was a major stoner before this, um, but during these two dark years, it only heightened my paranoia. And in fact, I only got over that part of it a couple years ago. Still to this day that it can have a negative effect on me if I have too much. In the end, I I mostly give credit to two things for really pulling me out of this darkness, which leads me to phase four the up-and-up age. As I said, there were two life rafts for me, one of them being lacrosse and the other my romantic partner who is now my wife. Lacrosse in college became the place where I started to find my grounding again. When I was on the field, nothing else mattered. It also allowed me to meet some great friends and even move in with some of them to truly experience that college lifestyle unfortunately i threw out my shoulders so many times um, that eventually i had to throw in the towel for competitive sports apparently lacrosse was my biggest reason for attending college because there's a strong correlation between my injuries and dropping out of school altogether shout out to my wife who became my rock through all the mental chaos at first, even even we had some rocky times, and obviously I think most relationships do, but I feel super lucky that she decided to stick with me through all of my growing pains, insecurities, and stunted maturity. At this time, my critical thinking skills were still nowhere to be found. I remember once telling her that all about how Michelle Obama was actually a man. And maybe some of you have heard this conspiracy before, but I was showing her the the bulge pictures. And she just said something like, oh, you know, I see where you're coming from, but I don't think I buy it. And she, she was the skeptical tool in my arsenal that nobody knew I needed at the time. By now, I was still somewhat spiritual, but all the practices like meditation, crystal healing, rituals, and prayers to angels started dying off. I think what sent them over the edge was the same thing that happened to my God belief. Basically, after years of effort, they just weren't working like I envisioned them to. It's crazy. I wanted a supernatural experience so bad that there were a couple times I started begging the devil and demons to come show me something. I wanted it that bad, but I guess they don't listen to me either because nothing ever happened. So as this faded, uh, the conspiracies were really the big thing that I latched on to. You name the conspiracy, and I was probably into it on some level. I was listening to Alex Jones, which now feels wild because this was before his movement attached to an actual political party. I think on some deep level, conspiracies and even strongly held beliefs kind of make people feel special, like we are in the know. And this isn't to bash on anyone who believes in conspiracies, just that this is what my experience with it was. And from my observation, it does seem like humans have this itch to feel like they are in the know and have the knowledge. For me, every new thing that happened or that I discovered from the past always fit right into this global narrative that I had. And the worst part about these conspiracies is they could never fail. They could always fall back onto, well, this group of people is lying to us, or, like, this video is faked, yada, yada, yada. There's there's no landing zone. Any evidence brought to the table can just be dismissed. I think it's obvious that um, conspiracies from powerful groups, including our governments, are probably happening all the time. I'm just skeptical of anyone who has thinks that they really have it all figured out. And the actual conspiracies are probably very well hidden. And the last people to find out is someone like me just watching YouTube. So the conspiracies were the last thing to finally go. I remember really pondering one day and thinking about how I had such a negative view on the world. Like all these evil entities were just out to get me and the rest of us. It started to make me realize that, man, even if some of this is true... Who am i to do anything about it like what could i even do the combination of that realization and skeptical podcasts and debate that i started listening to finally helped me let it all go this brings us to phase five the latter years about five years ago now i was absolutely in a much better place but not everything was looking pretty. I was drinking quite heavily all the time, eating like shit, not working out, and my mental was definitely suffering. I can't really pinpoint an exact time frame, but as I was engulfing myself in these skeptical podcasts like The Atheist Experience, and by the way, shout out to the ACA, I, do, I think that they do a lot of great work and uh, help people through a lot of stuff um but it seems like one day it just hit me like wow i absolutely am an atheist and i have been since high school i think and once the dust settled and i felt comfortable with the title and really understood what it meant to call myself that my motivation to change my life almost flipped on a dime i think it's pretty interesting because a lot of christians i talk to will give me a similar change uh changed life story but it changed for them once they found Jesus. For me, once all these beliefs and conspiracies were out of my head, my sole purpose became bettering myself in every facet of life. I finally felt like I was putting the onus on me to make it better. And I understood that not everything bad in the world is part of some grand conspiracy, but rather that a lot of bullshit happens to a lot of people and we all just have to find ways to deal with it. I stopped drinking so much, stopped watching porn for the most part, you know, me and my wife started trying to eat better, meal prep, and go to the gym, although I will say this, one, this last one is still a battle we are fighting sometimes, but that's alright. Not only that, I finally decided to go back to school, and it seems like philosophy was just this perfect fit for me, because it seems like it fits right into my entire life journey, which leads us to the podcast. I first started my TikTok when the threat of uh, fascism and Christian nationalism started to feel real to me. I think it is it is an absolute danger to our society, though I stay positive about it because I think there are enough people in this fight that truly want liberty for all types of people. But for me, I just decided I don't want to sit idly by Even if the threat isn't that grave, I wanted to join in on the conversations. I think I've realized that I highly value truth as well as empathetic conversations with people, even those who I think have the worst ideas. And that's what the podcast is all about. I really hope that together, even with our disagreements, that we as a society and humanity as a whole can come to the table, hash out our ideas, and come up with solutions and compromises. Thanks to anyone who has listened in on this story. Uh, if you have any any questions, please hit me up. Uh, you can email me, TikTok. Uh, both email and TikTok are who is whoisskydaddy. And then the Discord now is the new name, which is the Discourse Den. Um, And I also wanted to just quickly note here that um, if if anyone, you know, even one or two of you out there enjoyed uh, this monologue and would be interested in more, I have a lot to say about objective morality. I think there's a lot of evidence to support it, Um, and eventually I plan to write a full-blown paper about it, but. If that sounds interesting to hear as a monologue, then hit me up and I will work on it. Um, for the people in the Discord, I, no obligations or anything, but if you guys want to come on stage and have a chat with me for a bit, we are live on YouTube, but you know, any questions or comments, go ahead and raise your hand. I'll bring you up. Thank you for being here, by the way. That's awesome to see people dropping in. All right, let's go, Chris. Hey, how you doing?
1: Pretty good. How about yourself?
0: doing pretty good did you look like you maybe caught halfway through the monologue there
1: yeah i, I heard the, the latter half what'd you think well it sounds somewhat familiar i i found it interesting what you were saying about conspiracy theory because whether it's true or not focusing on what you have an effect on in the world around you is really the only strategy any of us have
0: yeah yeah absolutely that like there was this overwhelming sense of like man i just like have such a negative view like all these all these people are out to get me and yeah like you said like what can you do about it like even if it is true what are you and i to do about like the illuminati
1: Well, and, and recognize that, like, everyone is trying to get their needs met, and and so the system has been set up so that people who are trying to get their needs met might look to you like they're conspiring in some, like, in some, like, deeply nefarious way but really it's just like groups of people trying to take care of their own interests and the interests of those who they're connected to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. True. It, It reminds me of our discussion that we had a couple of weeks ago and how you were kind of talking about conspiracy in a broad sense and really how like most groups of people to some degree are kind of conspiring in one way or another
1: yeah exactly like there's something really forgivable and human about like people wanting to take care of themselves and like their family and their friends you know like
0: yeah yeah for sure so (laughs) anything else that stood out to you
1: Um, what did you say your your early experience with psychedelics was like?
0: Um, it was really good. my My first few times was just life changing. Um, you know, really just opened me up to a whole new world. Um, but it started to lead to these spiritual beliefs, and I don't know if you heard the part where I became somewhat arrogant in these beliefs and like as if I was almost some guru teaching my friends around me about spirituality and, um, eventually that's kind of part of what led to the bad trip that I had was because I was sort of acting that way.
1: Yeah, I can, I can see how that, that happens. Like I've, I've had that sort of, um, you know that sort of that sort of tendency come up in me and i like it's it's you know there's there's the phrase the dao which can be spoken is not the eternal dao yeah and there's there's something about trying to speak something out loud instead of embodying it and experiencing it for yourself like what gives you the right to speak about something if you're not living at yourself first yeah and so it's it it comes back to some things that like i learned in primary but you know things like you know worry about yourself and before you worry about other people like the the moat in your eye sort of thing
0: Mm, yeah so Have you ever had a a bad experience with psychedelics?
1: Um, I think, yes, I have. Uh, I think that like what I have experienced is where I'll get a perspective or notice something that I'm doing or that like needs to be changed. And then if I like go back and try to, Try to try to use psychedelics in a well, that w- without having taken care of that issue, I end up like it turns into a, a session of rumination about that sort of stuff and turns kind of bad. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's crazy. I don't know if you've uh, felt the spiral like in the way that I felt it, at least, but. I, I spiral is the best word for what was happening to me. It literally felt like the thoughts in my head were just circling around and becoming more and more negative as they went down through my body. <laughs> if that makes sense. it
1: uh, Actually, it does. I, I feel a lot of my thoughts and feelings in different places in my body. Yeah. And I, I relate to the idea of something going from the top of my intellect down into the deeper parts of my psyche. It actually is connected with, um, well, there's a nerve called the vagus nerve and there's, there's a, a lot of research coming out recently about how the vagus nerve is connected with your emotional states. And with things like your fight or flight, um, impulse, um, it controls whether you're in your sympathetic or parasympathetic nervous system. And, Mm. and so when you're having the, um, arousal, you know, positive or negative, like whether it's a fight or flight reflex or the, you know, the feast and, or fawn, um, you know, they're, they're all they're all different strategies that your nervous system on the lower levels is trying out. And there's a book by Bessel van der Kolk called, um, the body keeps the score where he talks about how your, your body actually like retains information and knowledge about like the emotional states that you were in at certain moments. Like, Mm -hmm. and so, if you're, even if you can't intellectually process and, um, recognize and focus on, um, the details of what happened, your, your body has, has an imprint of it and it's imprinted into your nervous system. And that healing can happen through recognizing that and processing that, um, that stuff.
0: That's, that's amazing. Like, Thank you for sharing that, because I'd never heard of the the Vegas nerve. Um, and it really resonates with me, because a lot of these memories, even the ones I was talking about today, a lot of them don't feel exactly like memories of me thinking certain words, but just the memories of, like, I knew exactly what was going on, but I wasn't talking to myself about it. But, but basically I was feeling it in my whole body, just like you were saying. So that's, that's super interesting. And it, we also, don't we have like neurons in our heart and our, and our stomach and stuff? Is that what these nerves kind of connect to?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. The The vagus nerve has branches that go to every major organ, including to the stomach and like, like i don't know if you've heard of like prion disease but when there's like a protein that's folded the wrong way and it gets it 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 can act like a pathogen and if you like eat that it travels actually through your vagus nerve up slowly towards your brain and so that's actually like the connection there's a connection directly between your stomach and your brain um which just as a side note, not that that's the most important thing about the vagus nerve, but um, it's called polyvagal theory. This, this, mm-hmm. you know, this area of research where they're because um, this nerve starts at the um, at the cranial nerve, it comes down and it branches. It goes down your throat. It bran- It goes around the heart, and then it branches back up to the to the uh, brainstem wow and so it's like a signaling nerve that modulates the connection between your mind and your body yeah (laughs) and i have been thinking a lot about what you're saying about um different forms of memories because things that we're able to intellectualize and put into words that's just one small category of all the things that we experience in our, in our nervous system.
0: Yep. True. And I, I didn't, I don't think I articulated it well, but these basically these memories are just they're memories of how I felt and just this weird sense of knowing without actually directly thinking of all the sentences and whatnot. So, But yeah, I appreciate you stopping in and listening. I I wasn't sure the kind of who all would maybe be interested in a monologue and whatnot. Um, was there anything else you thought was interesting or had questions about?
1: Not that, not that I can recall at this point.
0: Cool. Well, thank you again. It's, I mean, this was kind of some personal stuff. So it's, you know, I think it's at the beginning, I suggested that anyone who hasn't already should write out their life story like this, even if they're not planning on sharing it with anyone. It's because it's just amazing. Like the closure it brought to me and just the like boost in mental health points, basically.
1: That sounds like a really intense practice. Yeah. I, I spend a lot of time, you know, like, well, we're talking about this same process of like trying to take all of these like stimulus and sensations that are purely subjective and that only you experienced. And then articulate them into language so that you can speak them out and people can hear you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, um I think it'd be fun to have you on again sometime in the future if you're if you're down for it.
1: Yeah, that would be fun.
0: Cool. All right. Well, thanks again for stopping by. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, later, Chris. And unless there's anyone else in the audience, ooh, I saw a hand raise and it went away quickly. <laughs> uh, this person says they're too nervous. That's okay. Uh, if you want to chat, a question, shoot me a chat. Like if you like actually have a question, no one know, no one will know who it is, and I'll answer your question. Hit me up, dog. Well, and if you don't have any questions, that's, that's fine too. I'll just end the stream. We'll call it a short one. Felt good, uh, reading that, getting it all off my chest. You know, again, I've already said it a few times, but I I think a lot of people, it feels good to be heard and, and for people to like, just hear your story or even if no one's actually really listening, the sense of like acting as if I'm telling my story feels good too. Highly recommend it to anyone. So yeah, thanks again. Um, so join the discord, anyone who's interested in conversations, you know, you can find this on a podcast as well. It's not just on YouTube. So thanks again, everyone. See